This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you're a God who speaks. And so now we pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use my words and accomplish uh, your will in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds this morning. This is all your work, so please do your work. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. So when Matt asked me to preach uh, this sermon, he shot me a text message and it read something like this, hey bro, dot, 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 um, as Anchor's resident foodie on staff, how would you feel about preaching on food to start off our everyday series? And to be honest, I was stoked. I was like, well, apart from basketball, there's probably nothing else I'd rather preach on. And uh, food, it's one of the great passions of my life. I like to think that I love four things. I love God, I love my family, I love basketball, and I love food. So I'm very excited about this. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one here today who loves food. Uh, while there might be some people in the room who are more of the just kind of like, you know, food is, fu- uh, food is fuel type of people. Do you know who I'm talking about? The kind of people who, if they had a choice, they just drink all their meals because they don't care about taste. They just care about sustenance and nutrition. There might be some people here like that today, and that's fine. We love you. But for, for many of us, I'm sure that we have a greater appreciation for food than that. We may even love food. And by and large, we live in a country in a city, in a culture that also loves food, that some might even say is obsessed with food. Like, for example, did you know that this year in May, MasterChef Australia will kick off the 11th consecutive season? It's 11 years in a row being one of the most highly watched rated shows on television and actually the longest running franchise for Channel 10. We're fascinated with food and the stories of people and how they love food and watching them make food. Our food was hashtagged on Instagram this year, well, this past year, 2018, 278 million times. And that's not even including all the other food-related hashtags, like hashtag food porn, which apparently is just really good-looking food, and that was 157 million hashtags in 2018 alone. And so we love food. Our society has a fascination with food, and I don't know about you, but I love trying a new restaurant, perhaps driving across Sydney because you've been reading the reviews about this place that you want to check out. Uh, You might do research for the meals before you eat them. Personally, I recommend Zomato reviews over Google reviews. Uh, Or maybe you actually scroll through the Instagram feed of the tag location of that restaurant because let's be honest, if you're going to spend your hard-earned money on this meal, you want to make sure it looks good. It's a little bit of quality control. Nothing to be ashamed of, of course. And so whether it's brunch or cooking at home, barbecues, eating out, fast food, organic, vegan, Thai, Vietnamese, Chinese, Mexican, American barbecue, gelato, dessert, or whatever else, we love food, right? We love trying it. We love cooking it. We love eating it. We love telling people about it. Some of us even like taking photographs of it. And apparently, uh, Sydney is actually the food capital of Australia. I know that might be hard to believe. I actually thought we'd be runners-up to Melbourne. But no, apparently, Broadsheet and TripAdvisor both say Sydney comes in number one. So we're even better than Melbourne. (laughs) 
So we're obsessed with the food and so is our culture. And so the question for us today as followers of Jesus, for those of us in the room who call Jesus Lord and Savior, is how does, how does our faith intersect with, with food? Because here in Anchor, we have a conviction that faith in Christ affects every detail, every area of our life, and certainly it affects something as important and significant to us as food. So the question that I want to pose to us this morning that we're going to be thinking about and working through is this, how do we follow Jesus in a food-obsessed world? How do we follow Jesus in a food-obsessed world? World. And so if you're taking notes, love the note takers, if there's anyone taking notes this morning, the first point is this, we follow Jesus in a food obsessed world by eating and drinking for the glory of God, by eating and drinking for the glory of God. Read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says this, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So glorify God, bring God glory, even in things that seem as basic and simple and everyday as you're eating and you're drinking. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, firstly, I think we do it by recognizing that food is a gift from God. You see, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he gives them the Lord's prayer. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 2. As he's teaching the disciples to pray, he says, pray this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. You say, inbuilt into the Lord's Prayer, inbuilt into the Christian life and worldview of God is this assumption <clears throat> that the everyday needs that we have, the necessities that we have, the roof over our heads, the clothes on our back, the food that we eat, this is daily provision provided by God. It's a gift from God. And so if you follow Jesus, you believe that everything that you have every day, all your needs provided for, that is all a gift from God, including the food that you eat. And so therefore, we glorify God by thanking Him for food. We don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to be a people who take God's gifts for granted, but actually turn it back into praise and thank Him for it. And that's why we say grace before we sit down and we have a meal before we dig in, we say grace because it's not just, it's not this ritualistic, tokenistic Christian thing that we do just to tick a box. But did you know that when you say grace, you are actually acknowledging before God and before the people around you that this food that you are going to enjoy and consume, that is from God. He put that there for you. So eat and drink to the glory of God by thanking Him for food, but also by recognizing the Creator in the creation. What do, I, what do I mean by recognizing the creator in the creation? You know, I was doing some thinking this week as I was preparing for the message and I was thinking to myself, James, you love food. Why? Like what, what is it about food that really draws you to it? And if you know me well, if you've had the chance to, you know, the opportunity, we've hung out together, we're friends, we've shared a meal. Uh, you know that when I get talking about food, I might be talking about it for a while. And, you know, as I thought about it, I thought, 
there's actually a couple of things that draw me to food, and I think they draw us to food as well. And so I wonder if any of this resonates with you. We're drawn to food because there's beauty in food. Like when a dish, just picture you're at a restaurant or a pub or wherever you like to go, a cafe, and the dish arrives at your plate, and how do you know that it's beautiful? Well, obviously because you put it on your Instagram story, like 50% of us here, but no, because you look at it and you admire it for a second, like, wow, that actually looks really nice. Sometimes it looks so nice that I don't want to pick up my cutlery and dig into it because I'm going to ruin it. Of course I do because I want to eat it, but... You know, that happens for a second or two. The food looks so good. We admire that it's beautiful to the eyes. As George Columbaris says on MasterChef, we don't just eat with our mouths, we eat with our eyes. And secondly, we're drawn to food because it's creative. The dish arrives at our table and we, we think, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Like, how did they make this? Look at the different components on the dish, and not just structurally, but the flavors and the combinations of the food and the ingredients. It's creative. Wow, the chef, it's a talented person who's put this together. We're also drawn to food because of satisfaction. It satisfies us. You get that beef and bacon burger, dig into it, take that bite. Oh, just hits the spot, right? Satisfying. And fourthly, I think we're drawn to food because it's a pleasurable experience. I want you just to picture this moment. You know, you're out, maybe you're on a date with your partner or you're with a friend and you order, the food comes to the table. You both happen to get the same thing because, look, you wanted to try it and you take a bite and suddenly the world's in slow motion. What is this? And you look at your friend who you're with and your eyes meet for a second and you don't have to say anything but you both know. Wow, that is yum. Food is pleasurable to taste and we enjoy the experience. And we laugh because, you know, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit but we've had these experiences with food, haven't we? Maybe one of the experiences, maybe all of the experiences But here's here's what the food is doing in that moment, right? Here's what the creation, the food is doing in that moment. It's giving us a glimpse of the creator. See, it's showing us the beauty, the creativity, the satisfaction, the pleasure that we experience is a glimpse of the one true God who both made these things and who is all these things. See, because God is beautiful, so much beautiful than any food could ever be, and the creativity that we see in cooking is just a tiny little speck compared to the creative genius and wonder of the God who stitched the universe into being and made everything. The creativity mirrors His creativity, and the satisfaction that we feel in our stomachs is infinitely inferior to the soul satisfaction found in God. And the pleasure that we savor just for a moment is so fleeting compared to the eternal pleasure found in knowing God. See, in the creation, in food, we see a glimpse of who God is. And while food only has this beauty and creativity and satisfaction and pleasure in small measures, the ultimate full experience of all of these things is found in God. 
And so the next time that you're drawn to admire the beauty of food, I want you to remember how beautiful the one who made it is. And when you, when you marvel at the creativity, think of the wonder of the creator. And when you are satisfied and you feel pleasure at consuming this food, don't worship it, but remember that true satisfaction and pleasure is found in God. Let the food, let the creation drive us to worship the creator. This is what Jeff Vanderstelt, a pastor and author in the United States says, kind of summing up this. He says, when we eat, we see that our food looks good. Some meals look like a painting by Monet, others look like a Picasso, but they're all works of art. And we can smell our food. Just think of all the wonderful aromas of the best meals you've had. Don't you love them? And as you put your food in your mouth, there's an explosion of sensations. Sweet, sour, bitter, salty. It's like a party in your mouth. (laughs) And you don't just taste your food, you feel it as well. There are so many textures to experience. And through all of this, you are nourished and replenished, strengthened and rebuilt. God wants us to eat and remember, enjoy and worship Him. And at the same time, have our needs met by Him. What an amazing gift food is that God has given us. And so how do we eat and drink for the glory of God? Well, we thank Him for the gift. We recognize that it comes from Him, and we let the creation lead us to worship of the Creator. But how else do we follow Jesus in a food-obsessed world? So we eat and drink for the glory of God, but also we live for the lasting bread. It's point two. We live for the lasting bread. What do I mean by that? Well, let me take us to the Gospel of John in chapter 6. Jesus performs this amazing miracle. He's out teaching on a mountainside in this huge crowd, 5,000 people, men and women and children come to him. They have no food and the nearest town is days away. And so he takes five loaves of bread and two small fish and he multiplies this food. His disciples start handing it out to the hungry listeners and the hungry crowd. To the amazement of everyone, the food just keeps multiplying. And he feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And later he goes across the lake to have some time alone and the people are having a siesta. And what happens is they wake up and it's now dinner time and they're hungry again. And so they think to themselves, there's no towns anywhere near us, but this guy, Jesus, he just gave us lunch. And so maybe if we find him, he can give us dinner too. And so they pursue Jesus and they find him. And when they find him, this is what Jesus says. John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So what's happening here is this hungry crowd has gone to Jesus, hoping, expecting, wanting him to fulfill their temporary hunger, and Jesus rebukes them. He takes this physical reality of food, and he's turning it into a spiritual lesson, and his point is this, food spoils, but eternal life doesn't. Food spoils, but eternal life doesn't. Milk goes off. 
Fruit gets rotten. Meat goes bad. And so don't spend your life living for food. Don't spend your life living for temporary things, but live for what's going to last. Live for what is eternal. And so naturally, the crowd are a bit confused because they were thinking about dinner, and uh, it's too late to get Uber Eats. So they ask Jesus this question, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answers them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so Jesus is saying, this is how you live for eternity. Believe in me because I am the one who God has sent. But what has God sent Jesus to do? Well, this is what Jesus says later on, a few moments later, starting in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then jump down to verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. See, Jesus is saying that he is the lasting bread. He is the bread of life. What he has to offer, it's not like a meal. It's not like a temporary thing that fades with time or spoils, but it lasts forever. He has eternal life, and he says that whoever comes to him, he will raise up to eternal life on that last day. And so if you're here today and you don't call yourself a Christian, perhaps you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, this is what it means. It means believing that he is the one that God has sent, and he is the one who can give us eternal life. And he does that for us by coming to earth and living in our place and dying on the cross for our mistakes and our pride and our rebellion. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises to life three days later. And so he has the keys to eternal life. And he does all of this for us. He dies for us. He rises for us. And by believing in him, we can have eternal life. And so we follow Jesus in a food-obsessed world by living in light of this promise that he is the lasting bread. And eternal life is found by believing in him. And so for those of us here today who are Christians, we do call ourselves followers of Jesus. What this means is that we don't live for temporary things like food. This is the whole lesson that Jesus is, is trying to teach here. And so when it comes to food specifically, we don't let our human desires rule over us so that we're gluttonous, habitually overeating and lacking self-control. You know, gluttony is defined in the Bible as a habitual greed or excess when it comes to consuming food. And God commands us not to be gluttons. And I feel like in our age that this has become a bit of an acceptable sin in some ways because we enjoy eating and we enjoy drinking. And, and so we put things like theft and adultery over on one side, but like, you know, gluttony, that's not too bad. It's kind of, it's kind of fun and a little bit cheeky, right? But God's word actually says that we aren't to be gluttons. 
And why does he say this? Well, I think he says this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it's actually not good for us. Constant gluttony and overeating actually isn't good for our health. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God actually resides in us. These physical bodies, while they're not ultimate, while we are waiting for a final glorified body, they still matter. And God has called us to steward, which means to be responsible for our bodies. And I think the second reason that gluttony is commanded against is because gluttony often points to something deeper. Why do I feel the need to overindulge in a food? Why am I looking to food as a comfort? Why am I looking to food as a fix, as a solution, something to make me feel better about myself or my circumstances? You see, God doesn't just give arbitrary commands. It's about the heart and and His commands are deeper. There's something, there's a motivation that He wants us to examine within ourselves. But perhaps gluttony isn't something that uh, we struggle with or that is a temptation for us. Perhaps we just sometimes worship food a little bit too much. And Jesus is saying, don't don't worship food, don't run to food, don't let food be your comfort or your fix because I'm the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never be hungry and will never be thirsty. And so all of our greatest hungers and longings can actually be satisfied in Christ if we run to him. And how we live in relation to food also affects how we use our money. Because there's a relationship there. Food costs money and eating out costs money and dining costs money. And so if we're living for eternity, then we should be living for God's purposes. And so do we, do we skimp on helping those in need? Do we skimp on giving and providing for those who, who need help all the while splurging on the hottest restaurants and bars and new dining experiences? Or perhaps do we say to ourselves or to others that actually we don't have enough, we don't have enough money to support the work of the church or to give to God's kingdom or to give to aid. But at the same time, we buy eight coffees a week and eat out three dinners a night. Uh, Three dinners a night, wow. (laughs) Three dinners a week. When we could actually be saving that money and eating at home a few nights a week so we can use that money for God's kingdom. You see, if we're living for the lasting bread, then our habits and behaviors ought to reflect that truth. Christian living isn't about prohibitions or lists of do's or don'ts or rules to follow, but it's actually about being consistent. It's about our lives being consistent with our message. That if we say we believe one thing, our actions show that. John Piper, a pastor in the States, has this quote to say in regards to this topic. He says, in the end, everyone is controlled by appetite either an appetite that glorifies God by showing He is our supreme satisfaction or an appetite for food that would then be an idolatry because it would seem to say that food is more satisfying to me than God. See what he's saying? He's not saying food is bad. He's not saying food is not to be enjoyed. He's saying what controls you, controls your will, what controls your behaviors, your compulsions, and let that be God. So if we're living for the lasting bread, our actions and attitudes around food ought to recognize the truth that we believe and proclaim, that we have something better than anything temporary, even better than food, and his name is Jesus, and he satisfies every hunger and thirst of our souls. 
And so how do we follow Jesus in a food-obsessed world? Well, firstly, we eat and drink for the glory of God. Secondly, we live for the lasting bread. And thirdly and lastly, we invite others to the table. We invite others to the table. You know, food just has this way of bringing people together. We've just experienced probably two weeks of that, haven't we, around Christmas. We love it. We gather around the table with our Christmas meal, with our families, our friends, our colleagues, and the food brings us together as we gather around the table. And did you know that in the Bible, Jesus was also always meeting with people around the table? Whether it was at a party where he turned water into wine in John chapter 2, or as we've just read when he fed the 5,000, or you know, maybe when he was enjoying some fish and chips on the beach with his disciples. It was probably just fish back then, not chips. And he was also meeting around the table with those who were far from God. He wasn't, share, he wasn't afraid to share a meal with people who were different from him. In fact, he did this so much that he was actually accused of hanging out with bad company. This is what it says in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Mark says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the dinner table was one of Jesus' contexts for mission and discipleship. He connected with people around the table as he ate with them and shared stories and shared life because discipleship and mission, it's not just an exchange of ideas or information or truth, it's an exchange of relationship. It's an exchange of life together. And I think we get that here at Anchor because every week we gather in gospel communities around the table and we disciple each other and we share life and we share faith. It's such a beautiful gift from God that we are able to share. And starting the North Gospel community last year with my wife Katie, I can tell you gathering around the table was such a gift from God and bringing us together and enabling us to open up our lives and our hearts and grow in relationship and faith in God. And today we're also launching the Anchor Gospel Community's cookbook, which I believe there is a picture on the screen. Yeah, can we get a cheer for that? I want to give a massive shout out to Nat Spencer, who's driven this project, and Laurie O for designing it. And this cookbook is going to bless our church family. It's a resource full of recipes, which are specially suited towards the gospel community context. Lots of people gather around the table, lots of mouths to feed, perhaps not the most time to make things, and perhaps not the biggest budget. This resource is really suited to our gospel communities, and it's going to be a massive blessing. So use that. Use that. But as we come to the new year, here's my challenge and my question for the Anchor family. Who are you going to invite to the table this year? Who are you going to invite to the table this year? In your gospel community, perhaps, or maybe in your apartment, in your home, in your own life. 
Who are you going to go out to dinner with to connect around the table so that you can share what God has put in your heart and share the testimony of Jesus with? Because here's the thing. There is a greater reality. There is a greater meal to come. And there is a day coming when everyone who trusts and loves Jesus will be reunited with Him. And we will sit around the table with Him and enjoy a feast in heaven. See, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so what, what this is saying, as John wrote this, the Lamb it's referring to is talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the wedding feast is the day when everyone who belongs to Christ will be reunited with Him in perfect relationship. And so when you invite others to the table, you're not just inviting them to share in a meal with you, but you have an opportunity to invite them to encounter Jesus. Because this day is actually coming, this greater meal, this greater feast. And so you have the opportunity to invite people to Jesus' table, to experience for themselves the bread of life, to taste and see that God is good and that all the hungers and longings of our souls are satisfied in Him. This is the opportunity that you have to invite people into a future hope, the future hope that we're all longing for, that every earthly meal points towards. See, that's the end game. That's where we're headed. And as we invite people to the table, we have the opportunity not just to invite them to a meal, but to invite them to so much more. To taste and see that Jesus is good. That He has eternal life and that everything we need, everything we want is met in Him. The people would come and be truly satisfied in knowing the living bread. You know, last year I uh, invited an old acquaintance to the table, someone I hadn't spoken to or seen in many years, and uh, he came. He came to the table, our GC gathered on a Wednesday night at a pub, and he came and shared a meal with us. He'd grown up in a Christian family, but he hadn't been walking with God for over five years. He was burnt out, tired, didn't like religious people, hadn't been in church, wasn't sure if he still believed and all this stuff. But he came and he joined us at the table and we opened our lives and our heart and prayed that God would use it. And over the past six months, this person, my friend Jono, has become now a true brother. He's recommitted himself to the Lord after over five years away. And then the beauty of that, we got to invite him to the table, is that I believe one day in the future, we'll be sitting together at that table with Jesus, feasting in heaven. And a few months after that, his life was being transformed and we held a Christmas in July party, our gospel community, on a Wednesday night. And he, he'd come to our table already and he invited his brother to come. Same story, over five years away, walking apart from God. Simple invitation to the come to the table and we opened our lives and our hospitality and our love and shared with him. And for the first time in over half a decade, he's rediscovering his faith. Jono texted me maybe a month ago and said, bro, Gabs for the first time in five years is actually, he's visiting churches and he started praying again. All of this just by a simple invitation to the table, using our physical reality to point to something more, something greater, something better, something ultimate. 
So family, who would you invite to the table this year? Who would you invite to come and see and taste that the Lord is good? Let me pray. Father God, we we want to thank you that even something as basic and simple and everyday as food points us to you. It shows us how beautiful and glorious you are and how satisfied we can be in you. So I pray, Father, that this year you would put it on our hearts to be inviting people to our table to share a meal with us, to share conversation, to share relationship, but more than that, that we might have the opportunity to invite people to encounter Jesus, the living bread, the true bread, the one in whom all of our longings and hungers are met and fully satisfied. We thank you, God, for who you are, for what you've done for us. You're such a good God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.